Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and this is the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. With me, as always, is David Gushy, the renowned Christian ethicist and excellent Stop, Sunday Jeremy. school teacher. Stop. <laughs> Thank, you. Um, Thank you, my friend. We today are going to continue our conversation on some of these, uh, the, the issues of the moment. It's, it's 2020. We're basically living in an extended Jumanji movie at this point. And I really wish they'd just finish the game so all these monkeys could go back into the board. There's giant uh, kudzu eating people. There are rhinos running around. Um, the, I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point. 2020. Well, I mean, murder hornets. That's definitely a oh, Jumanji card. And they're real, too. So uh, we are we are in an extended episode of Jumanji. That's perfect. So. Yes. And so we're going to continue the conversation, but before we do, I'm, I'm interested, uh, David, in your progress on Job, and if that's informed any of your thinking recently on the uh, the current situation. Um, well, just to tell the readers or the hearers uh, of our podcast that um, I have, you know, three books coming out in 20. The first one is already out, the one on uh, Rauschenbusch called... Um, in the shadow of a prophet. And there's a, a collection of papers also on Glenn Statton's work that is delayed right now from Orbis because of the pandemic um, has shut down the warehouses in New York. So that book is printed and ready but can't be shipped, is my understanding. Um, and then uh, the After Evangelical is a project that we talked about and we'll talk about more. It's my, kind of my, my signature last word theologically um, and historically and ethically about white evangelicalism that's coming out in late August. Um, but the next book contract that I've signed is um, to do a commentary on Job. Um, totally different project. Kind of when, you, when you've written or edited 27 books, uh, I don't know, sometimes you feel like doing a stretch project, kind of a reach. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this, Jeremy, but when I was in seminary, I seriously debated whether to be an Old Testament scholar or whether to be an Really? Yeah, yeah. And so my second year in seminary, I was, um, uh, as I, I knew I was going to do a PhD, but I didn't know which. Uh, but when I learned about Eucharistic, I knew that that was a bridge too far. So I didn't know where <laughs> I went with that. But <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, not doing those languages. Yeah, uh, Akkadian, Eucharistic. Uh, Egyptian hieroglyphic. Gonna have to stay well some cuneiform. Cuneiform, you know. So I said, I think I'll do some ethics. Generally, use English there. Um, English and German, anyway, right? That's true. So, so I was glad to um, make that choice, but I'm now excited. Um, I think in a different episode, we'll talk more about the Joe Project. But, but you know the 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 sheer suffering that has been experienced by so many millions of people suffering of all types, uh, innocent people, to the extent that any human being is innocent, but, I mean, that the problem of Job is all over our moment. Right. And, um, uh, and then, I think Job is not just about why do the innocent suffer, but also, how do religious people interpret the suffering of Jesus? And, and then, the, that's the meta question, and then the, of course, the ultimate theological question: Where is God when people 
thinking a lot about all those things as we've been going through this nightmare of a 2020. Maybe I'll leave it there for now. We'll have another session on, on the Joe Project. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Uh, today, I think we have to talk about what happened in the Capitol this past week. Today is uh, June 4th as we record, and it's... I'm still I I'm I'm at a loss to to talk about what happened at St. John's Episcopal in DC across from the White House. Well, let's let's try this, Jeremy. Um uh, it has often been said of Donald Trump that there is no bottom and that he will always surprise you. Let's just say this is said among critics. He, he will always surprise you by doing something worse than you could have anticipated, worse than anything that happened before. It just keeps on getting worse. If you think there's, a, there's some level you won't think below, then he does. And I think that sometimes when he reaches a new low or a different kind of low, um, that it, it affects people who had otherwise kind of been, uh, you know, middle of the road or, or like, well, I see good things and I see bad things, you know, just like anything. But something, just like something in the last uh, session, we talked about how something snapped with that George Floyd video. I think for some middle of the road type people, something snapped with the St. John's Episcopal Bible display. Yes. Um, I want to, I might switch and ask you what snapped. But first, can I say just a little bit of how I interpret his overall response. Yeah, please. First, what he did was actually sound decently responsive when it came to the George Floyd incident itself. Apparently, he did look at the video and he did say that was awful, that should not have happened. I express sympathy to George Floyd and his family. Something like that. He did say something like that. That should be that should be acknowledged. Um, but he expressed um, very little sympathy when the protests began. And then as soon as uh, there began to be um, riot-type behavior, like um, like has happened here in Atlanta, for example, you know, the College Football Hall of Fame being invaded and uh, glass being broken and stores being looted and stuff, he immediately shifted to um, the rhetoric of law and order and language of thugs, bring out the bring out the National Guard, bring out the military, uh, call in the call in the, the troops, um, apply the Insurrection Act of eighteen oh seven to have the military uh, it's overrun posse comitatus. All that, right, that's right. And um so that whole very militaristic, um, and you know, you got to be tougher. We got to dominate the, the protesters and the and the and the rioters. Very militaristic, very George Wallace, very Richard Nixon in his worst moment. That itself is notable. Right? Um, the nature of the of the militarized police presence in Washington, because the because the nature of that weird little spot on our map, the, the White House, 
there's a lot of authority there and the way that the Attorney General called in all kinds of troops, a uh, uh, very militarized look around the White House right now, um, is notable. Uh, and the sense that we were getting in the into the ballpark of martial law, mm-hmm. at least in Washington, um, for libertarians, for uh, people concerned about protecting a democracy as opposed to a military regime, that's a different type of concern than we've had about Trump before. Yes. It draws in, it draws in um, like military people. So you've had, just the last 24 hours, people like former Defense Secretary James Mattis, uh, uh, Mike Mullen, who I think was in charge of the Joint Chiefs, um, posted something in the Atlantic. Um, so you had very senior military people and the, the current Defense Secretary, Esper, right. expressing opposi- opposition. And of course, he may get fired, and so you may have our 87th Defense Secretary under Trump coming. Um, so, so the military people in the, the civil versus military um, kind of boundary line and protecting a democracy as opposed to a uh, military regime, that snaps something for a different group of people, right? But that was different. But uh, the, I'm going to clear Lafayette Park with with grenades and tear gas, you know, not grenades. What are they called? Oh, flashbangs. Flash bang. so they're, they're giant firecrackers right. that are, a, that, yeah. that is a military tool to clear a room you disorient and frighten and blind and then you enter to kill okay so we're going to use military tactics so that the president can walk across the street to st john's hold hold a bible backward and upside down um for a photo op um so jeremy let me ask you what (laughs) what do you make of that what what for you when you saw that picture I, I, oh, there's still the there's still a little bit of smoke that's rolling out of my ears um but <laughs> this might sound this might sound selfish there were clergy in front of that church there were clergy on the steps of that church that were working to make that place that sacred space a place of refuge an oasis and a medical station. They had water, they had supplies, they had EMTs, and they were smoke bombed and flash banged and rubber bulleted and driven off of the steps of a church so that the president could have a photo op. That is insanity. Okay. That, I had not thought about that piece of it specifically, but yes, I mean, that's. That's the church attempting to do something constructive in a very tough, tough situation. And, and, um, okay. The church was being the church. And the the Episcopal bishops, the Episcopal bishop of that diocese had sent their ministers to that space because they knew where their church was and what was going on. And so they were going to be a location of peace. They were going to be a place of encouragement and of safety. And to see imperialistic force being used against the peaceful ministry of the church throws up way too many red flags. 
for me to ignore it. And, and, and the idolatrous moment of, because I, I, I know when I'm being pandered to. I, I'm a, I am a Southern, I am a Baptist minister in the South. I know when you're talking to me. You stand in front of a church and hold up a Bible in the most awkward way possible. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. It, that's that's it, it appeared to rest uneasily in his hands. <laughs> was it tr- was the Bible trying to get away? <laughs> but to use my iconography next to such a display of force and violence to diminish the ministry of the church in order to try to use the image of the church that backfires. And I um, think it has. So what about, what about your, your 30 something uh, ministerial peers? All of us seem to be on the same page that that is not our Jesus. Uh-huh. And that's, you gotta, Would, my, my words, be careful with know, that book are because of what it says and what it does to tyrants. If yeah. you get, you get dangerously close to that line, uh, that Bible's gonna start getting in your way. And that, that's the story of the, of the, uh, the Old Testament. God has taken liberated people and God has liberated people and become their God. And as soon as they become the powerful ones who are thwarting others' uh, ability to to exist as dignified humans, as soon as they start enslaving, God starts sending prophets. We start getting warnings. And eventually, the king in Jerusalem is indistinguishable from Pharaoh and God acts. You know, um, that is so interesting. And this may be an example where I think a certain percentage of essentially conservative, deeply devout, you might even call them evangelical clergy and some regular folk. It was a skin crawling moment. They may mm-hmm. not have the words for it necessarily, but a sense of, whoa, this is different. Yeah, something's wrong this, this, here. Something's wrong here. I don't know. How, I don't know what to call it exactly, but it feels like an abuse of both the the church that stands behind the president here in, in the iconography of the picture well as the Bible that is being held kind of brandished in his hand. It wasn't his Bible, and he didn't quote a word from it. It was the symbolism of holding the Bible that was apparently intended that day. I wonder whose idea it was. If it was his idea, I wonder, well, I think it's clear what he hoped to accomplish. He hoped to, I think, signal to the conservative Christian faith. I stand with the Bible. Something like that. No, well, it came right after his Rose Garden um, speech saying that he was the law and order president and that he would be restoring law and order and then immediately dispersed a church that was engaging in true worship through 
justice and righteousness. Last night I taught a class on Amos. And I didn't say a single political thing. We've been going through the um, the prophets because I thought they'd have something to say to the way we feel about the pandemic with living in a state of confusion and concern about the future and not knowing what's going to happen. And so I brought in these powerful voices. Um, <clears throat> but we get to Amos. And... I did not contextualize it one bit, but it feels so present. Somebody actually put up a meme of Bible with sword on top of it mm. and rem- and reminded us of the years in which Bible and sword went together in colonial and imperial and slaveholding religion. Bible and whip, Bible and sword, Bible and gun. Bible as symbol here of of oppression. Um, and the Bible isn't going to be happy about that. The Bible's not going to be too happy about that. There's, did you see the movie um, The Book of Eli? No. Okay, so just... I should, I you should, should watch, watch that movie. movie. It's a, it's like Mad Max yeah. with a Bible instead of gasoline. Sure. You know, that's actually a really good way to explain it. In the book of Eli, is it Denzel Washington? I think it's Denzel Washington. Um, is a man named Eli, and he is in possession of maybe the last Bible in a post-apocalyptic America. Oh, okay. It's a Mad Max-feeling post-apocalypse. Eli has the last Bible in the world. And Gary Oldman, always the best bad guy actor, um, is the corrupt mayor of a one of these... He's a warlord over a section of like Wyoming or something like that. And he finds out that there he's his men, his goons are always hunting for a Bible. And he finds out that one's been spotted and so his men go and hunt down Eli, who's secretly like a ninja. He's he's like a blind samurai thing. Um and so lots of action, lots of people get beat up. Um Gary wants this book and he's expending massive resources and manpower to get it. And one of his lieutenants gets upset with him and says, we're doing all this for a book. And Gary, oh, I love it when he yells, yells, it's not a book, it's a weapon. Wow. And goes into a monologue. If I can get, if I can hold that book, people will believe anything I say. Dang. When was that movie made? 2000, it, I think I was in high school. So before, let me pull it up real quick. But I think it's like 2008. Book of Eli. Oh, later than that. 2010. If I can hold that book, people will believe anything that I've said. Yeah, if people think it's from the book, they'll believe it. Well, there you go. But you know, it's interesting, maybe the last thing to be said about this incident at the church and at the John Paul II shrine is all of a sudden, Christianity, Christian faith, the Bible, the church, was in the conversation again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what is the church? What is the Bible? What is the mission of the church? What is true Christianity? Um, so you had 
you had people on CNN, you had uh, bishops and clergy and people on CNN actually being relevant actors in the conversation. I have been wondering over the whole pandemic period, where are the church's voices? Is anybody taking it seriously? Like, the relevant voices have been public health voices, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but with the brandishing of a Bible and the visit to the John Paul II Shrine, by the way, one of our moral leaders, that's, <laughs> that's going to be interesting when we, maybe too, when we talk about him in class this fall. Why would you go there? Is JP2 now so owned by the conservative side of the Catholic Church that he thought that'd be a good bet, you know? Um, but anyway, so now both Catholic conservatism, Catholicism in general, what is the true meaning of Catholic faith? What is the true meaning of Protestant faith? What is the true meaning of the Bible? What is the true meaning of the Church? All of that got on the table because of a couple of hand gestures. Oh, I think a fairly desperate place. That's the way I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kingdom Ethics Podcast, which is produced by Mercy University's Center for Theology and Public Life. As always, we, we want to hear from you. Uh, David and I are both active on various platforms of social media, um, and you can reach us and our other works at our respective websites. You can go davidpgushy.com and find a plethora of materials. And my work is accessible at revjeremyhall.com. So we uh, hope you'll come back for our next episode. We're going to keep talking about these things because they're important. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs>